0: In ancient times, thrones were not places of welcome, but places of exclusion. They were not places you went to for kindness. They were places you went to for cruelty. And that's why when the early believers got this word from the Hebrew writer, it must have been so meaningful. When he said that the throne from which, to which we go is actually a throne of grace. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God's throne is a holy and just throne, but it is also a gracious throne. And this is a message that the early Christians needed to hear. They were treated harshly by their culture. Some of them had lost their jobs, some of them had lost their homes, and others of them had lost their freedom. And they needed to know that God was still on the throne, but that it was a throne of grace from which he ruled. Because for these early believers, their faith was beginning to falter. They were keenly aware of their own weaknesses, and maybe you find some kinship with them this morning as you look at the status of your own faith and the strength of your own walk with God. And the Hebrew writer then takes those two problems they have, their failing faith and their weakness, and he lets them know something stunning. He says to them that God already knows that. In the 13th verse of the 4th chapter, he says, we we'll begin in verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart that is unbelieving, leading you to fall away from the, le- the living God. But exhort one another day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end." He recognizes there is the possibility of hardening our heart that we can lose our faith before we get home. And the startling truth is that God already knows that. If you look in the 4th chapter in verse 13, he reminds us that there is no creature hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and open before the eyes of whom to whom we must give an account. In other words, God already knows all of our sins. He knows all of our weaknesses. He knows the trials that we are going through. He knows the temptations that we're facing. And that is disconcerting when we realize that our God knows our weaknesses and he knows our sins. And so it's at this point that the Hebrew writer takes his readers by the hand And he leads them through the heavens, and he takes them into the very throne room of God, and he shows them a God who is holy and righteous, before whom we are open and naked, before whom our sins are clearly revealed, our weaknesses are even more magnified than we could ever imagine, and yet what we find there in heaven is a throne of grace. And so he writes these words. He writes, "Seeing then that we have a great High Priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for if we do, for we do not have a High Priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne." Of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need at that throne of mercy we find the forgiveness for our sins we find the strength for our weaknesses because it is a throne of grace and it's that throne I'd like for us to think about this morning it's a it's an image I need today to see that my God is sitting upon a throne And he is in control of my life and yours and the destiny of this world. And he sits upon that throne and it's called a throne of grace. And the reason it is a throne of grace is because Jesus is there. That's what makes it a throne of grace. He says, see him he says see him who has passed through the heavens verse 14 Here he is inviting us to see a picture that the early church had seen with their own eyes and that is the ascension of Jesus Christ It's recorded in Acts chapter 1 And there we see that the Lord who died for our sins and was raised for our death uh, raised from from death for our justification was then with his disciples for 40 days where he talked to them about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And then the text says that he ascended from their sight. In fact, the text says this, Acts chapter 1 verse 9. When he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked up steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from, uh, taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven." Here is a tremendous truth we learned about Jesus Christ. First, is that he is still alive in the presence of God. That when he was raised from the dead, it was never to die again. But in the ascension, he overcame death once and for all. To sit in the presence of God, as one author put it so memorably, we have our man in heaven. And that's Jesus Christ. But in addition to that, it reminds us that Jesus is coming again. Jesus' first coming was the climax of human history. His second coming is going to bring human history in this world to a conclusion. And it teaches us that this world is not all that there is. And that trials will come, and we will face temptations and sometimes fail. But we must remember this, that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God, and he is our man in heaven. Jesus is there. That makes it a throne of grace. And he is going to come back, and everyone is going to answer to him. But the point that the writer makes about Jesus being there is that he is there as our high priest. Read again with me verse 14. It says, He has passed through the heavens, this Jesus, the Son of God, and our high priest. There's two wonderful truths there. And that is that Jesus is in his nature God, and secondly, that as God, he is our high priest, that he is in heaven to help us. That is what gives us courage, to know it's a throne of grace because Jesus is there as our high priest. You see, under the old covenant, the high priest would leave the people, and he would pass through the outer court, and he would pass through the room of the temple, and he would go into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, just once a year. And as soon as he was in there, he made a sacrifice for himself and for the sins of his people. And he retreated as as, as quickly as he could from the presence of God. But that's not Jesus. Jesus, as our high priest, has passed through the heavens. And he remains in the presence of God, there to ever make intercession for the sins of his people. This is what makes it a throne of grace. Jesus is alive. Jesus is there, and he is there on our behalf. He is our high priest. And that's why verse 14 says, let us hold fast our confession. Our confession is in Jesus Christ, who is both Lord and Savior. And so we confess him in our trials, and we confess him in our temptations, and we confess him in private, and we confess him in public, we confess him because he is the one who makes the throne of heaven a throne of grace. But then secondly, this text tells us that it is a throne of grace not just because Jesus is there, but because of his disposition towards us. That as our high priest, he is sympathetic towards us. He is compassionate. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are and yet without sin. It's easy to see Jesus on the throne as king, that he rules and he will rule, that he is on the throne as judge and he will be. As we read in verse 13, we all stand naked and open before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But to know that he is also on the throne as a brother who sympathizes with our struggles, that's what makes it a throne of grace. In fact, the Gospels take great pain to show us Jesus' compassionate attitude towards us, that he... The text, the Bible text says he was moved with compassion. He touched people out of compassion. He taught out of compassion. He healed out of compassion. He forgave out of compassion. And it is that same disposition that God has for us as he is our high priest at the throne of grace. And the reason that Jesus can have sympathy towards us, the text tells us, is that he had become like us. We read this in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 about Jesus, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Why? Verse 17, So that in all things he may be made like his brethren. See, that's who's on the throne of heaven. One who is like his brethren. That he might be a faithful or merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. To make a propitiation for the sins of the people. This text causes us to think about Jesus' time on this earth that he had a real body, that that body had the same kind of feelings that you and I do, with all of the challenges and limitations of this mind and body. He had to learn things. He had pain and disappointment. He knew betrayal. He knew what it meant to be hungry and to laugh and to cry. He knew everything we know he faced every kind of thing that we faced. He played the same instrument we play. In fact, it's interesting, this word sympathy makes me think about something they taught us in school about uh, sympathetic resonance. Uh, it's, the idea is that you can have two pianos in the same room and you can go over here and hit an A on this piano. And you can go over there to that one and you can listen to the string that's the A string and it is vibrating because this one over here is vibrating. Jesus had the same instrument we have. And when we feel disappointment and discouragement, when we know weariness and exhaustion, he knew all of those kind of things. And what we suffer he has a sympathetic resonance towards. In fact, the writer wants us to understand the fullness with which Jesus can understand our temptations and trials in that he says he was tempted in all points such as we are. All points such as we are. We like to think that we are so unique as people. Nobody has ever suffered like I have. Nobody has ever faced what I've had to face. That's Satan talking to you. I tell you, your bag of rocks isn't any different than anybody else's bag of rocks. And Jesus carried the biggest bag of rocks there's ever been carried. In fact, C.S. Lewis, I think captured it well when he wrote these words. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong, strong it truly is. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it not by laying down. And a man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have taken to withstand the temptation for an hour. But Jesus Christ, because he is the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only one who really knows what the fullness of temptation means. Jesus understands and as compassionate more than we could imagine. And that's what makes it a throne of grace. But since Jesus is in heaven, and since his attitude towards us is compassion and sympathy, the text makes then this point. We can approach the throne of grace in prayer. We can talk to him. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, seeing that Jesus is there and that he is sympathetic towards us should drive us into his presence. The text says that we do so boldly. Now, don't get the idea that that means arrogantly or flippantly. It is still the throne of a holy God. But it does mean that we can come before his throne without hesitation. Other versions use the word confidently. A confidence that's not in ourselves, but a confidence that the one on the throne wants to hear. That no matter what sin we've committed or struggle we have, we can come before the throne. And, that, and we can recognize and know that it is a throne from which we will receive two things, mercy and grace. Mercy for our past failures and grace to meet our present and future needs. And we receive this grace, the text says, when we pray. We just studied in Bible class, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, that said this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so we can pray and know that because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he has done, We can find mercy to cover our sins. We can find grace to give us strength and endurance. In prayer, we can ask for his protection from temptation and from the evil one. In prayer, we can ask him to open doors of opportunity so that we can do his work. In prayer, we can ask him for wisdom and understanding. And the list could go on and on and on. In other words, it is the throne of grace that enables God's people to stand up and face the days that come knowing that we are not facing them alone but with a God who gives us the grace and mercy we need in time of help. Or the help we need in time of need. Eric got it right. I was thinking about when I was a young man and left home for the first time. I lived in the west and I went away for school 2000 miles away little school out in Florida and I didn't know anybody there and like most college students felt quite like out of a fish out of water and I started to practice that in fact we carried on for years and years even after my dad died And that is calling home at least once a week and talking. And those conversations always lasted longer than an hour. I told them what was going on in my life. I listened to what was going on in their life. They would instruct and correct. And I grew in wisdom and understanding. And then I'd ask them for money and hang up the phone. But, you know, I just loved those weekly calls and have for years. It kept me connected to a resource that was essential for life. And the writer of Hebrew says, brothers and sisters, we have that and more at the throne of grace. That we come before a father who through Jesus Christ is able to give us the mercy and grace we need in time of help. So please understand, though, that Jesus being at the throne and making it a throne of grace because of his sympathetic disposition towards us doesn't mean that we just come before God in prayer like a galactic gumball machine where we say a prayer and get what we want and go on our sweet little way but that the purpose of it being the throne of grace and the purpose of it dispensing mercy and grace is so that we might hold on to our confession. You see, that's how this section begins and ends. In verse 14 and repeated again in verse 16, he says, hold on to your confession. That's what the Hebrew writer's audience needed. It's what we need. How am I going to face another week with all the bad news that I receive and all the difficulty that I face, all the uncertainty that I have, the recognition of my own weakness, the temptations that I encounter? How am I going to face all that? You face it because you come before a throne of grace and he gives you mercy and he gives you grace so you can hold on to your confession firm to the end." David Murray experienced a debilitating sickness, and as he was at his worst, he got into a automobile accident that nearly took his life. And after several months and even years of being disabled and in pain and suffering, he said he began to wonder things like this. Is Where is God in all of this? And what is God trying to do? And initially he wrote, my only answers were, I don't know where God is in all of this. And I don't know what he's trying to do. But as he was reading Job, as you might expect a man in his condition to do. He ran across a prayer, a prayer of Job. In Job chapter 23, where Job asked the same questions he was asking. Where is God? And what is he doing in all of this? And in despair, Job came to this conclusion. God is not there. And I don't see him. And I don't see what he can do. But as Job continued to pray, he came to these two conclusions. He came to the conclusion, he knows the way I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. That's the kind of confidence you can have when you come before a throne of grace, that there is a God who knows where you are and what you're going through. It's a sympathetic high priest, but he is also a God who is able to take what you've you've been tried with, and make you gold in the end. God knows where we are, and God knows what he's doing. And so, hold fast your confidence firm to the end. And I would suggest to you this morning that if you can't come to a God and pray to him a prayer like this because you're not in fellowship with him, you're missing out on one of the great strengths and encouragements of life. And I would welcome you this morning to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to one who knows where you are. He knows your sin and how you're separate from him. If Jesus were to come back today, you would find yourself out of fellowship with him for out eternity. And he knows what he's doing he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins so that you can be forgiven of them and be given eternal life. And if you're this here this morning and you want to find mercy and grace, He has provided that in the cross of Jesus Christ. You can com- confess your faith in Him. Be baptized in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can then forevermore approach God who sits upon a throne of grace. If you need to respond, please do, as we stand and say.